Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And this is No Limits, a Mitch Rap podcast. So what are you doing this week, Mike? Man, it's just a lot going on. Work is getting busy, but I'm here podcasting with you and drinking a nice beer. So things can't get any better right now. I could tell it was a rough week when you uh, texted me today at like one o'clock. I'm ready to ready to podcast with my um, Brosophocles. <laughs> that was that was a new one. I needed my podcast Brosophocles. Yeah, things were getting rough, but um, yeah, we're here. How are you doing? I'm I'm doing all right. Things are crazy, but um, I have some the probably the last golf update of the year. Uh, got out. <laughs> Got out on one last time on Saturday. It was nice weather, and I shot my lowest ever, ninety-one. All right, all right. So not bad. I was pretty happy about that. Afterwards, the kids and the wife met uh, me and my buddy and his girlfriend up at uh, nineteen eleven Cidery. Have you ever been there? Have you ever had any no. other stuff? Is that upstate? Highly recommend it. It's like twenty minutes from Syracuse. Um, nice good cider and it's an orchard so you can go pick apples oh nice oh so the cider's really fresh then yeah like we picked i picked like 15 pounds of apples nice we have a place out here in northern virginia out on 66 it's in um linden linden virginia small oh, town I, i've been out there near front royal i've been to that one it closed down this season mm. they said the orchard didn't produce and um it was something to do with a frost, an early frost we had. I for, they were saying, and it killed all the crop, and they said very few apples actually were produced. So it was kind of a bummer that that happened to them right now. Oh, that stinks. But yeah. All right. Well, a couple updates about uh, what we're doing today, and our combine that with our Twitter roundup. We have a lot of comments from our separation of power covers. Yes. So. At the end of this episode, we're going to get to the end of Separation of Power, and of course, we'll wrap up by talking about our favorite covers. Yeah, it was different. The people on Instagram liked a different cover than the people on Facebook. It was interesting. Also, I have this I have this funny story. Uh, a follower on Instagram DM'd me and was like, I have a, I have a serious question to ask you. He's like, I, I'm, I just started reading Lethal Agent, and my dog ate the last three pages of the book oh man <laughs> and he was like can you if at all possible if you have a copy of the book can you send me a the picture of the last like couple pages so yeah i i forwarded him my my um <laughs> my kindle version so that way he could he could read it but yeah that was i thought i was cracking up laughing and i asked him i was like hey can i can i talk about this so so that's what you texted me about, asking me if I could take pictures of Lethal Agent. And I was like, what? <laughs> Why would I do that? <laughs> that's something that my kids would usually say at school. Dog ate my homework, but I guess now it's all on the computer. They can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, I know. Dog actually ate his homework. Dog ate my uh, power cable for my laptop, maybe. I'll probably get some of those soon. Yeah. Right, and uh, so we need to announce that for this month's Patreon, we are doing an October book giveaway, so anyone who wants to sign up to become a patron of ours can get a chance to get in that October book giveaway, and similar to last month, we're doing a um, winner's choice, 
Mike has six different versions, uh, autographed Mitch Rab books, um, and the winner can choose. So yeah, go ahead and sign up. Potential books you could pick if you're a winner uh, are Executive Power, Extreme Measures, Pursuit of Honor, Act of Treason, Protected and Defend, and The Survivor. So, You know, there's another reason it's a great time to sign up and help support the podcast. We are ready to make our first donation to the Prostate Cancer Foundation in just a few months. So if you sign up now, all of your pledges uh, that you contribute to the podcast for November and December will go directly 100% back to the Prostate Cancer Foundation, specifically to support the work that they do with the VA. We're happy to give back to a cause like that. And if you become a patron, the next two months of pledges, all of November and December will go back to that cause. We're happy to do that. Yeah, that's uh, that's very exciting. Yeah, and I think... Uh... Peggy sent me a picture or posted on her Instagram. She got the uh, her autographed copy. So, oh, good. We are they actually sending out Germany. the books. Yes, we are sending them. I think we've already given away and shipped three giveaways, three autographed books: one Kyle Mills, two Vince Flynn. So um, things are rocking and rolling for our patrons. Yeah, and you can support a good cause. Yes, indeed. So, Chris, what are we going to be doing in the podcast today? Right. So, last week, we started our discussion on separation of power, Vince Flynn's third book with Mitch Rapp, his fourth book overall. So, today, we're going to wrap up our discussion of that book, starting with chapter 24 to the very end, uh, give you our winners and losers, our, our, our rating of the book, and it, also, we're going to discuss the covers. So, Mike, you want to give us a limerick for this book? <laughs> Well, I thought you were going to give us a limerick <laughs> for this book, if I wasn't mistaken. Yeah, so um, <laughs> I tried. The scientist writes poetry. I tried, uh, and I sat there. I told Mike, I was like, if you had been on our Google Doc, just staring, like watching me type, it was for, I had like two uh, like an hour, two different hour um, incubation periods today, <laughs> and I was just sitting down trying and i would write like two lines and i would delete it i'd write two lines i would delete it and i was just like and then i literally wrote on the google doc i can't do this and i just walked away <laughs> it's the process man you gotta let it happen yeah this is why happen. this is why i'm not an artist this is why i chose science oh, and not art well i'm not into art either but i do appreciate words so let me give you my double limerick review of separation of power between love and work, rap is torn. When a trip to Milan goes terribly wrong. Displeasure not discreet. When Donatella and Anna meet, rap is focused on the mission all along. Dropping into Baghdad, Flynn sets the scene. A badass covert op executed so clean. Games within a game. Hank Clark is to blame. And revenge on Ben Friedman unforeseen. See, this is why... All right, I gave it a shot. I gave it a shot. That was very nice. That was very nice. I... All right, thanks. Appreciate it. Not my best. Not my best. <laughs> you're, you're good with words, Martini. Do. You're good It'll with do. words. It'll do. So, Well, yeah, you're good we... with themes. You've, you've been coming up with most of our themes, and I think you've got a few good ones planned that we're going to talk about as we get to the end of the book here, right? Yeah, so for me, when I was, you know, thinking about what themes we could discuss for not only this book, but this the specific second half, in the first half, we sort of, it, this book almost can be split into two, and in the first half, we have 
you know, really focused on the love story and Mitch's inner inner life with a little bit of, you know, meeting some background with some various people, as well as um, we are introduced to, an, well, I guess we were introduced to Donatella last time, but we really get, you know, further in depth with her this time. Uh, and then we finished up with, you know, we were beginning to get some action um, in Milan, right? But the second book, the second half of this book, begins to, one, focus on the major action that's going to be the operation in, in Iraq, as well as, you know, at the very end, we're going to wrap up with, I keep saying wrap up, I love that, but uh, Mitch Rapp proposes to Anna, yeah, pun intended all the way, and really have to understand, you know, how marriage and life is going to work, and sort of sort of completing the first half of the book. And then, I guess, the whole book, some people, I was reading some things online about how, you know, in this book, Vince was maybe trying to comment on Israel and U.S. relations. And so, you can see that that's very, you know, prevalent throughout the book, that there's, you know, there's a reason that Israel was, you know, Mossad was put into this. And this, the U.S.-Israel relations has always been interesting and, and sort of, so this this could be seen as like maybe a commentary on that as a snapshot in the moment. So that my yeah. but sort of the main thing that I was thinking of was and it, this is a pretty common theme in most of his books, but you know the idea of con- confidence and decisiveness. Indecision is the enemy, right? So, and you can see this all throughout with especially the Iraq mission. That one, you need to be confident, and two, you need to be decisive. And if you aren't decisive that could be the you know between life and death so yeah and you know i loved and i was talking about last week how i want to get to rap in action planning out a mission and so we are going to see his quick decision making like no other in yeah. in the in the uh, wrap up of this book so all right well we'll let's pick up at the storyline of mitch and donatella and there was just this shootout in her apartment in Milan where she took down two people who were trying sent to kill her, but she was shot in the process. And so I wanted to bring up this quote just to remind us where we were. Donatella is trying to play out in her mind who could have been behind this or who is who is after her like this. And I thought it really brings us to the the, moder- the moment we're in. So Mitch is outside. He didn't come in yet. Donatella is trying to mull over is Mitch involved in this? Is the CIA getting me? Who's What's going on? So she's thinking, and she says, quote, The U.S. was an ally, but that only went so far. The CIA was not beyond lying to get what they wanted, and there could be no doubt they'd love to find out who her controller was. The man sitting in the car could be someone sent to kill her, or just as likely could be an employee of the CIA, either sent to kill her or scare her into telling Rap who hired her which would be Ben Freeman, right? Maybe that's why Rapp saw the man before she did. Because he knew the man was going to be there. Welcome to the paranoid world of spying. I love that, because if you remember, they're walking down the street in Milan, and Rapp squeezes her hand, which was their old symbol, uh, signal from when they worked together in operations. That's He saw somebody, that there's right. somebody suspicious. And Donatella's like, wait, did he see them because he's working with them? And they're trying to to pull one over on me. I just thought Donatella's level of analytical thinking while she kind of lay in there shot was pretty good. Well, that's like, 
you know, that quote sort of summarizes uh, like our theme from last week, this games within games is you never, especially the first half of the book is all about like a spy novel. It's very much a spy novel. Whereas the second half is this thriller action novel um, or, you know, if you want to break it up that way. And this, this quote perfectly summarizes, you know, what it is to be a spy. Yeah. And also on the theme game within a game, and your new theme for this one is Vince commenting on the Israeli-U.S. relations. You know, we are extraordinarily close allies. But here is a Mossad operative wondering if the CIA is turning on her. And her handler, Ben, is the director of Mossad, yet he's trying to strong arm the U.S. He's actually playing games with the U.S. president, as we're going to talk about. And so it made me think of that theme has, has a quote. And I haven't read Dune. I don't know if you read Dune, but I've got it recommended to me by so many people. So Dune is on my my top reading list right now. Yeah, same. But the author, Frank Herbert, uh, wrote, enemies strengthen you, your allies weaken you. And so it's kind of like this dynamic of don't let your allies be too close or make you too vulnerable because you never know what they're capable of. And I kind of feel like that's something Vince is going for. Yeah. Well, where's Anna in all this? <laughs> because... As we know, the Anna-Mitch relationship is super prevalent in this story. Well, she's left alone at the hotel. And this is about the point where she's sinking into despair. She starts drinking. Heavily. Um, heavily drinking. She starts questioning Mitch's loyalty and her own ability to stick with her decision to love him and be with him. Because if this is how life is going to go being left alone on a vacation that you thought might possibly be the, a proposal coming, and now he leaves you. And she's about to get really mad of why he left when he shows up. This this next scene is almost like a, a little piece of, like, screwball comedy. You know, like, uh, yeah, yeah. It, of course, he walks in and, and Donatella is, you know, she's loopy because he just gave her a bunch of drugs because she was bleeding out in order to find out who was he did it to find out who uh you know was her who sent her but she's like i'm his lover you know it, <laughs> i was reading that chapter and i was just couldn't help cracking up and yep. it really reminds me of the as i read one thing and about kyle and he says that he likes to put he thinks he has more humor in his books and i would agree with that overall there's much much more humor and but there is there is a little bit of humor in, in Vince's books, and it seems like this that, you know, he adds a little bit of comic relief. But as a whole, I would agree that, like, Mitch himself is not that, uh, you know, comedic. But No. But Donatella here, she cracked me up. She just keeps telling Anna. Anna's like, who is this woman? And Donatella's like, I'm his lover. And she just won't stop talking about how she's Mitch's lover and how they had great sex. And she just keeps going on and on. And Anna's like, why would you go see her? I thought you were working. And she just won't let up. So, yeah, that's pretty funny. She's hysterical. She's high as a kite on morphine or whatever else rap gave her. Because she is shot after all. So she's she's shot. She's bleeding out. She's drugged up. And she meets Anna in a hotel room after she just had her heart broken. So it just gets out of control. I, I, I don't know. I just want to bring up again, though, like, is that a downfall or a pitfall in this book of just the sex comes up too much? Yes, it's funny here. It fits here. But after we had half a book of Donatella nonstop or a couple of scenes of Donatella nonstop talking about it, it's like, does this have something to do with Vince's Catholic upbringing? Like, 
that he just has to beat you over the head with sex over and over again with one of his few female characters. It's just, is it because he doesn't want to actually have a graphic scene? So instead he just has a lot of talk about it. I don't know. Mm. It just, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Something going on here. We never do. uh, There is no intimate scene, like, you know, graphic scene. Whereas like I've read some other um, spy stuff that I, I even think like Brad Thor might have, have some scenes and even I definitely uh, Lee Child has some scenes and sometimes it makes me uncomfortable the way <laughs> like the, maybe that's the Catholic, my Catholic upbringing but I mean we mentioned this before how Mitch or not Mitch when Vince does I think struggle a little bit to write females but I like Donatella later on when she shows up she shows up when Kyle Mills takes over the story right she might show up in like a one or a few novels uh, before that, but definitely in like Enemy of the State, like she's written really well. I like that version of Donatella better, even though Donatella here is like a badass. Yeah, no, here it it just it well it was funny and it worked. Something about it going on and on is uh, not sure if it landed exactly. You know, I, I I do think Vince's strength is more of the military operation scenes, the the background of special operations and things. I don't know if it's necessarily writing love stories. One thing I think this book is important for is establishing Mitch as like a real life person and not just mm-hmm. cause so many of these novels you never like, there's no stakes for these guys, right? Mm-hmm. This actually establishes some stakes that Mitch will have. And, you know, we're going to confront that full, full in the face, you know, uh, five books from yeah. or four books from now. Right. So yeah, I think, it's important to see that aspect of these characters because it gives them depth, you know? Yeah. And uh, some of the writing does get pretty deep. Like, so Anna storms out of this hotel room. She's mad that Mitch brought home this woman. You know, she doesn't know what's going on. She's already in hysterics and probably pretty drunk herself. She storms out and Rap is left thinking about his next move. You know, he's got Donatella. He's in the middle of this operation, has to find out who is hired, who hired her to kill Cameron. Yet the woman he wants to marry just walked out in hysterics in a foreign city. And so Rap in his mind is going through it and he, th- and he says, quote, Rap was not good at grays. He liked black or white. Gray made for indecision. And indecision is in his line of work was what got you killed. So Rap decided on a plan of action. Anna really would have to wait. He wanted out, but he couldn't just abandon Kennedy. She was still his friend. And unlike Anna, he wasn't about to abandon her. He had to see this other business through. Then he would go back to Anna and explain everything. If she truly loved him, she would accept his apology and give one of her own. If she didn't, no matter how painful that proposition seemed, it was for the better. He would have to move on with his life. Well, and I think that he knows that if she really does love him, then she'll they'll, they'll figure it out, you know. Not but like I think oftentimes in those kinds of relationships, why do you think people who are in the CIA or in the FBI, at least the way they portray it on TV and movies, they're often divorced and they're often, and I feel like they don't put that in, you know, as well as like law enforcement, it's tough jobs to have, to be fully committed to one, you have to sort of, you know, decommit from others. Yeah, it's true. I think that's like that with any profession though, you know, like, like a lot of professions that people have to go deep into and fully consume them. Which we could yeah. agree that Mitch has a, a job that fully consumes his knowledge and is in his brain. So, like, it's hard to split yourself. And I feel like he's gotten to a point where he's better at it. 
in Lethal Agent Separation of Power, you know, he has to grow. Yeah. But he's really on the brink. I mean, after all this goes down, he's very close to where he blames himself. He blames himself saying, you know, I shouldn't have done this. And even in his mind, he's thinking, quote, he'd been a fool for even dreaming of marrying her. An utter idiot for thinking that he could have what other people had. Love had clouded his otherwise good judgment. And Rap had ignored one simple fact. He was a killer. And killers didn't marry women like Anna really. There it is. Well, th- this is going to be his theme, you know, through, you know, Pursuit of Honor, where yep. he, or, uh, and then um, Extreme Measures, where he forces uh, Mike Nash to, you know, Mike, he knows Mike can't have both because he couldn't have both. Yeah. Like, so yep. that's one of the reasons what goes him down the road, even though yep. he thinks he could have both, but he reali- he realizes he can't. Yeah. Well, let's wrap up this storyline for now. And Rap takes Donatella back to the U.S. Kennedy meets them at the airport. And Kennedy has brought in a good friend, someone who can definitely protect Donatella, but also could protect himself from Donatella. And that's Scott Coleman. I was hoping that they would get together. Although now Scott has a new... uh, A new... Yeah. I guess people listen to Total Power already. Uh, Yeah. Sorry. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Um... Scott's got a love interest. Yeah, but I was hoping that uh, I thought, you know, especially w- during those books where Donatella comes back, I thought that would have been a good a good team up of Scott and Donatella. Yeah. Donatella doesn't want to go. She's kind of cautious. Like, who's this man? She looks at Rap of like, are you really going to give him to me? And Rap's actually nervous for Scott, thinking right. Donatella could kill you, which is super interesting. <laughs> And Rap's like, yo, Scott, don't underestimate her. Like, And he, he says to Donatella, she's like, Donatella, don't kill him. <laughs> Doesn't Rap pretty much say, Donatella, don't yeah. even try to kill Scott? <laughs> yeah. Rap thinks she it, could. Or Rap knows she could, actually. Well, it's like the same advice that Ben Friedman gave to uh, mm-hmm. to his man, you know. And then his yeah, man didn't don't underestimate, underestimate her. her. Mm-hmm. Yep. And look how they ended up. Dead. <laughs> yep. All right. So we're not going to really get much involved with the love triangle anymore, which is kind of a good thing. You know, two thirds through this book, things are heating up with our other storyline, which is the Hank Clark, Congressman Rudin, and Kennedy's going to be taken into a congressional hearing. So Chris, I feel like, I feel like you were able to sift through this kind of stuff a little better than me. What's going on with Hank and his plotting to undermine Kennedy's appointment to the CIA director position? Right. So we, we actually failed to mention it. And I, I think one of the reasons why we failed to mention it um, last week, I was going to bring you up. Did you find that this sort of B plot with Hank uh, and Rudin and John Brown, did you find it like, like 15 minutes too long or, you know, like a little bit too much or one too many additional characters brought into the fold? Yeah. we, We, maybe we can talk about, talk about this at the end, but, I I don't know. I felt like in it was a way better job of it last book with Hank and the politicians, you know, going back and forth. And you know, I guess he still has to be a part of it because he they never figured out that he was actually in charge of you know what was going on in in mm-hmm. uh, the third option. But anyway, so we failed to mention. But this whole time last time uh, in the first half of the book, there was a couple of chapters where we have 
Hank Clark meeting up with Rudin, his buddy from the last book, and his plan is to get Irene Kennedy not appointed to the director of the CIA. But he can't just do it, even though he's on the Senate Intelligence Committee, he can't just do it himself because he's already told the president that he is behind her. He's also one of the senators who was in charge of starting the Orion team, so he can't use any of that information to, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of block her appointment. But he knows that Rudin has this grudge. So he hires this former FBI guy who he's, you know, put a lot of money investment into, Stevekin, to dig up information. But actually not dig up information because he's actually told the lion sack of shit, uh, the judge, who's also like a judge, you know, it's funny because he there was one one part of the the um, of the chapters where Brown, the who is the deputy director of the CIA, he's like, if I become in charge, I'm gonna everything's gonna be by the book. And I'm like, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, wait, but you're not doing it by the book right now, uh, like, yeah. <laughs> yep. a- any, anyways, so well, it's kind of like you. So there are some people who are like, you can use shady means to get into a position of power because guess what, you plan to use the power wisely. I just got to do whatever it takes to get there, and then I'll be the noble emperor or whatever, the philosopher king, not realizing along the way your path to power will corrupt you. And then when you have the power, it will corrupt you. You'll be so so brown. Yeah, I think brown fits that uh, persona perfectly. Right. So Hank is manipulating every single string. He's told Brown to give up the information on the Orion team to Stevekin. Stevekin gets this file, gives it to Rudin. Meanwhile, at a couple times we've had Kennedy, at one point Kennedy is brought into a hearing where she, and this is, we're going to see Kennedy, this is not her first, uh, Well, this might be the first time we've seen her in a Senate intelligence meeting, but we're going to see her again in front of uh, these people where she oh, yeah. knows she has to make these tough decisions. She knows she has to lie or skirt the truth. And so, yeah, that's, we're getting around this information to figure out how to get Kennedy off of the the path. Yeah. And while the congressional hearing is going to be really spicy later on, there's a scene that if you already didn't hate Hank Clark with every fiber of your being, if Hank Clark didn't already feel like a snake to you, this one little interaction put me set me over the edge and it genius for Vince to include this Clark intercepts Kennedy making her way into into the Capitol building uh, I think she's freshening up or something in a waiting room he sees her outside the door in a vestibule they're talking and he's like I'm gonna do everything I can for you you know there's gonna be some hardballs you know a couple people on the committee are gonna ask you the tough questions are you ready Meanwhile, knowing full well, he's got this dossier that Rudin has given to one of his operatives, and we're going to see in a minute what's in that file uh, is very damning, and they put it in the hands of somebody willing to publicly release it, even though there might be threat of an investigation or criminal proceedings. Clark has masterminded all this, and he gives her a hug. When he went in for that hug, oh, he's like, oh, you're going to do so great from the committee, no pressure. When he went in for that hug, I just want to smack him straight across the face. Especially because she doesn't know, you know, that he's what's he's done all this yeah. stuff. Yeah, and, and what's, what's coming. Yeah, that was great. And if she knew, 
Can you imagine a Kennedy who knew on the spot it was him when it happened, thinking back to that hug and him reassuring her it's going to be okay? That is not the type of Kennedy. And Clark's an idiot. He seems smart, but he's an idiot for not realizing that that's not the Kennedy you want to have to go up against. Right. Right. No way. So we finally get to the Iraq mission, and I don't know, Mike. This is my favorite part of the book. Uh, it's gonna Let's be my. Go. It's gonna be my winner in in the winners and losers. Um, Big time. So we start off with Mitch, Irene, and General Flood going through, uh, you know, meeting and going through different information and details about the the mission. So I think that there's there's some important things that go on here, and, and Vince is very good at, you know, military detail. This like is his he, where he really shines. Um, I thought it was interesting how Mitch Mitch is not happy about like bombing the hospital. I thought that was an interesting little you know thing. He he really is not keen on having any sort of sacrifices. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and. If you remember, they were going back and forth over bombing options, and neither of them really seemed satisfactory. And so Colonel Gray, one of the people brought in to advise the president, has a really outside-the-idea plan. And we're going to get into that in a little bit, but it does involve troops on the ground sending in special operators. They're going to choose Army Delta, Army Rangers, the Delta Force. And of course, any time a president is dealing with putting boots on the ground, it's a huge decision. And Vince captures that. I really, really think Vince understands the gravity of those decisions being some of the most important in all American history. So in the course of one of these conversations, the president and his generals and advisors, Vince writes, quote, Anybody with or without moral character, anybody with or without some intestinal fortitude, could give the order to send in the cruise missiles. It didn't test a leader's skills one iota. Sending in the planes was the next level and involved some real risk on America's part. The last thing anybody wanted was to see an American airman on Iraqi TV. Putting troops on the ground, though, that was some serious business, especially sending them into Baghdad. I mean, this plan that they're going to pull off to put troops on the ground, land planes outside Baghdad, and drive in, you know, to the city undercover or in disguise. And I don't know how much we talked about the actual plan last week, but man, it's a pretty good one. You want to tell us about a little bit of of what they, how this thing's going to go down? Right. So they know that there are these white um, limos, right? So they know that there are these white limos that drive around um, Saddam Hussein as well as his son and the top-ranking officials, and then that he they have multiple ones that are going around. I'm guessing he has that in order to so that way people don't know which one is which. Um, so they're going to use that to their advantage because doing a lot of reconnaissance and studying the movement of these white Mercedes, um, they see that they can just drive wherever the hell they want. Yep. So, again, decisiveness, right? <laughs> you have to act like you own the place. Act like you've been there yeah. before. And so they're going to drop in, fly in, drop in these these cars that are going to be full of Delta boys, along with our boy Mitch Rapp, who's going to play 
none other than Uday, uh, Saddam's, Saddam's son. son. And I loved how they get, there's one point where Mitch talks about he walks in and sees the boys and they're all, obviously they can blend in in the Middle East. He's like, they yeah. probably all know Arabic, not as good as me though. And this is because again, like Mitch Rap is supposed to be able to blend in yeah. that area. He's And he's fluent. And he's able to do that. So they're going to use all of that, get into the hospital, take out the, the nukes, hopefully bring one back. Meanwhile, there's going to be bombing around to sort of give them a some cover fire. Hopefully they can take out some other things while they're doing the bombing and get out safely. And so this sounds like a badass plan. I want to just watch a movie on this part, you know, like yeah. you could do a whole movie on that. So we kind of get to... Because thinking about this scene, impersonating a military commander or a dictator's motorcade and knowing how your average soldiers and troops respond to it, Rap says, I know these war zones, they would never dare stop one of Saddam's motorcades or his son's motorcade. They act, He even, I think Rap tells the guys, he goes, this, this Uday is a son of a bitch. Like he caught somebody who turned on him. Or whatever, and he's like, you know what he did to him? He what was it? Uday like the soldiers were so scared of him, they would never talk back to him. They never stop his motorcade. They let him right on through. They would take no lip from him. So he knew this would get the guards at the hospital watching the nukes to uh, to stand down. He said he threatened a guy. He tied him up, tied his dick in a knot, forced three bottles of gin down the guy's throat, and then let him die. And the soldiers watched. And he did that just as a scare tactic so that no one would ever question his authority. And Rap knows this. Rap knows the scars on his face. Rap knows uh, the dialect he uses, everything about this guy, and he's going to pull it off. Yeah. He also knows that Uday asked Saddam to, like, pretend that, uh, play like the prodigal son with his stepbrothers to come back, who had all fled, come back. And that, oh, you know, you'll be received, you'll be fine. And then when they came back, he killed them all. Yep, that was it. Yeah. Yeah, so Rap knows what a crazy son of a bitch this this guy and his son are. And knows that the soldiers are, if you are decisive, if you show you have a mission, if you want to get somewhere, they're going to let you through. Simply because of the fear that the dictatorship has created. But you mentioned a movie, which I can't help but believe. Vince is drawing this scene up from real-life events, particularly Operation Thunderbolt, also known as Operation Entebbe, uh, because it took place at the Entebbe Airport in Uganda. And Chris, I I was talking about this a little bit with you last week. This is literally right out of history. It sounds so fantastical, but the Israelis did this. Uh, In the 70s, there was a, I believe it was an Air France plane leaving Tel Aviv that was hijacked by a couple of Palestinian terrorists, and they were working with another German couple who were on their side of the Palestinian cause. They hijacked a plane of over 200 people, and they brought it to Uganda, and they were under the protection of Idi Amin, the butcher of Uganda, known as one of the worst dictators you know, in sub-Saharan Africa at the time. I think they said when he took power, he was known to have slaughtered over 300,000 of his own citizens in Uganda. Well, anyway, this guy's in charge. He welcomes the Palestinians in. He's got some beef with Israel. Well, guess what? The Israeli Defense Forces 
plan to rescue these hostages at an airport in sub-Saharan Africa. They drop in on C-130s at night, undetected, and leave a motorcade of a black Mercedes limo. And of course, Vince is going with these white Mercedes limos. But in Uganda, Mossad knew Idi Amin's generals used, I believe it was one black Mercedes limo and two black Land Rovers in their motorcade. Mossad set the whole thing up, made it look exactly like one of the general's convoys, sent it to the front doors of the airport. They got salutes from the guards. They stormed the building, and it's one of the most successful hostage rescue attempts in history. It's one of the most successful special special operations missions in history. So I think we got to do a bonus pod on that and try to look for some correlation between this scene that Vince is writing and how he absolutely had Operation Thunderbolt and the Israelis in mind when he crafted it. Well, I, I think like one, the fact that this whole book is based off of like the Israelis wanting the Americans to do their dirty work, like that, it, that even just adds more credence yep. to your idea that he's sort of stealing this idea from that. Um, but yeah, no, there's a, there's a documentary. There's also a dramatization of that. So yeah, we'll probably be doing a bonus episode in in a couple of weeks. So maybe next week. I watched a documentary. Uh, it's free on YouTube. So we'll we'll roll that out. There's also seven days in Entebbe. Seven days is how long the hostages were held at the airport. Yeah, if you want to check out those films next week, we're going to probably be reviewing them and talking about them and seeing how this scene was so masterfully done. Yep. Cool. Well, we don't uh, quite get there yet, right? Uh, We don't see it in action because we do go back to Kennedy. Remember, she's preparing to testify in front of Congress. And so it's really incredible. But right as the planes touch down in Iraq... And Rap has rendezvoused with Delta. In, uh, he talked about Saudi Arabia. On the border with Saudi Arabia, they had a, a lookout, kind of this post. That's where they launched from. And right as they're landing, in this high, exciting point in the book, we're back with Congress. <laughs> we're, we're back with what uh, Clark, Rudin, uh, and the team are concocting. So, Yeah, that's another reason why uh, I wasn't too hot on this B-plot, because I feel like it just takes me – I just want to stay in the action – and it just takes me out of it, you know? And it wasn't spicy enough to... I just wanted to be back with Mitch. So, anyways. I don't know. Yeah. It picks up here, though. It really picks up here with somebody going on TV and Oh, yeah. That, that was the best part of this. That was, that was an oh, this. shit moment. That one really made me just literally stop. I think I said it out loud. I went, oh, shit, when that happened. Right. So, Steepkin, has, he's got the information from Jonathan Brown. He... Then gives he meets up with Rudin, gives him the envelope that has all the information that Kennedy's been running this, you know, special operations in the Middle East, operations uh, Orion, and so this is just the the information that Rudin needs to take her down. He can now, you know, do either what he's going to do with her, go public about it, um, or you know, he didn't even have to do that. He could just open up an investigation because he is on the intelligence committee, right? So. Um, he even goes so far that he like ruminates how Kennedy is such a corrupt liar and that this person is just awful for democracy. And I'm just, I'm thinking in my head, I'm like, you're describing yourself though. <laughs> you are literally describing yourself. Um, at the same time, we have Ben Friedman who's freaking out, is starting to freak out because, you know, he can't find Donatella. Yeah. His boy Rosenthal can't be contacted. 
Um, he's worried. He's almost certain that she killed his two men. Uh, he comes up with this like plan that oh she's she's a crazy psycho bitch. Um, we haven't worked with her in years because you know he's actually she's been off the Mossad payroll for a while. He's she's been paying him, uh, you know, freelancing rates. Um, so he's trying to con- trying to weasel his way out of that. So we'll see that come back to play later on. Oh yeah. Then finally, Rudin goes to see Clark, and he shows him the information. And Clark, one he knows that the, the, he orchestrated Rudin getting that folder, and he also yeah. know what was in that folder because he signed off on it. But he he plays tells dumb. him he does play dumb. Yes, and he he coerces him to go on Meet the Press, and he tells him exactly what he has to say. Yeah, I literally dropped my Kindle. Hank Clark convinces Rudin. Rudin is a dumb. He's a wet rag. Whoa, you have this power. I'm on a congressional committee. I can't be involved in this. How about you take it? You go expose it to the public. Why don't you go and meet the press and tell everybody you have damning information that could tell us why Director Kennedy shouldn't lead the CIA? I mean, I, I want to be impartial in my committee hearings. You know, I don't want to show bias. So it's not me who thinks Kennedy is bad and broke the law with the Orion team. You have to go out and tell people he goes on TV. He holds up a folder and says, I have proof that Irene Kennedy has committed perjury. She's broken the law. The president and the CIA are running a special team hidden from the American people. It's funding is very, very murky. Uh, The democratic process has been subverted and there are legal operations that Kennedy has been solely in charge of in the Middle East. And he blows the cover of the Orion team. He puts a photo of Mitch Rapp. He pulls out of the envelope on live TV a photo of Mitch Rapp and exposes his name. That's like it undermines everything we loved about this operation from transfer of power when they tell us about this thing called the Orion team. And this hero, Mitch Rapp, and just two books later, I couldn't believe it was this quick, two books later on live TV, he puts a picture of Mitch. And Mitch is like, we just talked about it in the beginning of this book, he's freaked out that the secretary at Langley knows his name. Like, Mitch was so paranoid about even someone he's going to work with now on a daily basis, knowing his real identity, and now it's on live TV for the American public to know. Crazy. Well, that makes me think that there there are certain we've talked about this in the last uh, podcast, but it makes me think that there are he was try, trying to get Mitch out, and maybe he didn't realize how far how many books he was going to make with Mitch. This is just another uh, you know piece to add to that that he's sort of setting him up to be outed, and he's going to now have to work out in the open, and I guess be more like because that's essentially what they do for with Mike Nash, right? Mike Nash saves the day and then they put him up on the podium and he gets the medal. And then Mitch decided, Mitch actually like he was supposed to get a medal too, but Mitch, uh, you know, cuts out of the meeting with the president. And so this is essentially Mitch has already been outed. So yeah, I don't know that whole scene, especially also he's up against another Republican. Yeah. Uh, he's also <laughs> was with Clark signing off on the Orion team and he's like yeah. fuming, you know, deep down. He's like, what the fuck? Like, what is this guy doing? And how, how could you do that? Yeah. Like how much you hate Kennedy. I mean, I guess he just, he hates the institution of the CIA. So he, he doesn't yeah. care. 
Uh, and he wants to get Brown. You know, he's buddies with Brown, who is the deputy who by rightfully some would say should have taken over. Yeah, he wants to appoint him uh, by the book, do things by the book. But it involves breaking the law yourself, right? Like, if you're on the Intelligence Committee, you've signed non-disclosure acts. Right. And and so President Hayes actually is fuming and tells Kennedy, I'm going to send the FBI to break into his apart- his office and his apartment. We're going to recover that document. We're going to cover this up. We're going to bust his ass because he broke the law. And Kennedy keeps a cool head. She knows she she's the one who has to go into this hearing. Yet she tells President Hayes, no, to be short-lived. We could pretend we're going to take a hardline stance about Rudin being this whistleblower who who broke the law and leaked classified documents publicly. But it's not going to play with the public well. They're going to get me. So Kennedy tells the president to slow down and says, I've got a plan. We don't really know what she's going to do, but she is so confident going into the hearing. She tells the president, no, you know what? Don't persecute Rudin. Don't send the FBI after him. That will just create a, a media shitstorm. She goes, I'll take back the narrative tomorrow when I'm in the committee hearing. And boy, does she change the story. Also, she knows that uh, Thomas Stansfield has created backstories to yes, you know, get around the fact that this was an illegal, might have been an illegal thing. He also probably has a bunch of dossiers saying that Hank Clark and that other guy, Zebarth signed off on it. So we're involved in the Orion. We're team. involved yep. in the Orion team. So we know that Stansfield had files on everybody. Um, yep. Stansfield, to, I think, even like had like financial documents that say this was funded completely legally, even if it wasn't. And he had backers with sworn testimony saying, right. "Hey, if shit hits the fan. I would testify saying everything in your fake files. Thomas is right. Like Thomas cultivated a network of people to have their backs if this exact thing went down. And Kennedy is thinking about activating that." She's right. like, we can get him. I love the the next chapter where you know she goes in front of the committee with which Hank Clark is now chairing. He asks her to respond to these accusations, and what does she do? She just, I can't discuss the active, you know, security for national security reasons. I I can't answer that question. And this reminds me of a scene I think from one of the Mission Impossible's where like Jeremy Renner has to go in. And he literally just answers that same question every single time. Like, everyone gets so pissed off at him. And it's just like, for national security, I can't answer that question. You know, you got to have the goods, though. Because when I hear the government, it's a, it's essentially their version of plead the fifth, right? You say, due to national security, we can't disclose X, Y, and Z. I got to say, that doesn't, that right now, that doesn't play well in the public, right? Post 9-11 where we are really unified, we could all kind of, the public will kind of be okay with that. Well, that's response. exactly when this book came out, right? So Yeah, I think it was 2002, right? Right. So this is the heart of the beginning of the Patriot Act. Yeah, exactly. So, but Kennedy also knows you have to have the goods. If you're going to claim national security, and she is going to be so ballsy to stand up, Walk out of the congressional hearing. It's not over. She's under oath. She legally has to testify or at least be confirmed. She's willing to jeopardize all that by saying national security reasons, deuces. She pieces out and walks out of the meeting. But here's why. She trusts Rapp's going to get the nuke because she knows everybody who's against her will look like a fool if they want to expose her. And secretly, what they're exposing 
is recovering nukes from Saddam. So like if Kennedy gets tanked right now, they're going to look like idiots because then they just ruined a mission to recover nuclear weapons from a rogue dictator where Kennedy knows now nah, rap's got this. Yeah, we got the goods. The president is going to be able to come out in a few days and say, look, the, while these idiots were fooling around in Congress, leaking classified information, guess what the guy Mitch Rapp you all now know about was doing? He was taking away nukes from a dictator who we know is looking to bomb Israel, who we know is looking to, you know, torture his own citizens, who has teamed up with other terrorist networks and is secretly funding other terrorist networks. And so Kennedy's like, nah, we're going to come out on top because Rapp's going to complete the mission. Yeah. And she's right. She is. No, that's a bold move. I, I love that. I love that chapter. I love it. Well, let's start wrapping up the book with the uh, the mission itself. And I, w- I don't know about you, but I would say it mostly goes to plan. Yeah, it does. Yeah. They drop in. Uh, and once again, Vince gives us this little delight. Guess who's flying them in from Saudi Arabia? Undetected, landing right outside Baghdad. 160th Airborne. So uh, Vince gives us a little history of the uh, Special Operations Aviation Regiment, otherwise known as the 160th Airborne. And, uh, you know, the helicopter pilots, best in the world, who transport our special forces uh, in operation. And he even talks about how they were created, gives their history after the failure under the Carter administration to recover the Iran hostage, uh, the hostages from the Iran hostage crisis. And how um, it was so hard to get proper funding to train special operators in terms of helicopter pilots. And thanks to the failure of that mission, we were able to create SOAR, the Special Operations Aviation Regiment, and uh, they got the proper funding they needed to do things like this. I love those little chapter, little not chapters, but paragraphs or a couple paragraphs where Vince goes uh, in, on a deep dive, like sort of a tangent yeah. about some sort of military history or about some history about like either weaponry or tactics or, or like a, a failed mission or, or a successful mission in the past. Like again, that's really where he shines in, in that kind of stuff. Uh, I yeah. love when we get it. And and that's why I'm excited for our bonus episode to be about operation Thunderbolt because he doesn't mention it, but it's clearly in his mind with this whole mission. Yeah. You'll hear that next yeah. week from us about how, how close it is to what goes on here in Baghdad. Right. So as Mitch and the Delta team, you know, drive off into the Iraqi night, right? White Mercedes, no lights on, using uh, using uh, night vision goggles to drive. That was pretty sick. That was so cool. When they first land, it's pitch black. They all knew the exact second they were going to turn on the headlights and kill their night vision. Because if not, they would... Uh... They would mess up their eyes, yeah. Blow out their eyes by having the NVGs on and turning on headlights and like... Every little detail down to that, when you turn on the headlights and turn off your night vision, is perfect. It's perfect. Right. It's while we're driving that he gives the, the two descriptions of, which we, which we mentioned in the last section, why Uday is so feared and why they need to be so decisive, so convincing, you know, just act like you own the place. Because if they walk into the place and they suspect it's Uday, everyone's freaking scared of that guy. You know, the president decides not to phone Hank Clark and the leadership because like he's supposed to do that, you know, in order to yeah. keep this. And do you think like if I mean, I guess Ben Friedman is trying to get this done anyways. So it, there's no implication if like Clark 
knew about this that it would it wouldn't have jeopardized anything. But I thought that was an important you know thing to note. Well, yeah, the Gang of Eight. I mean, a president who's going to put boots on the ground legally has to inform the congressional leadership, the Gang of Eight, whoever that is. I think it's in Senate Intelligence Committee and House Intelligence House Committee on uh, Intelligence, and he doesn't do it. And he purposefully says 10 minutes out, I guess they know there's a mole and they want to kind of suss out who it is and keep it under wraps. So this is like beyond secret of a mission. It's that classified. Right. And so, you, you, like you said, the mission pretty much goes off as a hitch. They they drive in, they speed past the policeman. The policeman, you know, just look away. They don't even think twice. Uh, I guess the only thing that sort of goes, you know, awry was that the the missiles sort of go off early than earlier than what Mitch had wanted. But besides that, you know, they're able to get into the hospital. The And then the next thing that really, that I guess the only like sort of thing where you're thinking that, oh man, he's not going to get out of here is an Iraqi colonel turns up and who knows personally who Uday is and realizes that Mitch is not who he says he is. But Mitch quickly is able to foil this by just shooting him and playing into the character being like this is if you disrespect me i'm just gonna fucking kill you so we were quickly i was like oh shit mitch is not gonna get out of this but then boom quickly we were able to you know to turn the page on that isn't that like a movie where mitch just recovered the nuke he actually convinced the north korean scientist and another somebody on the phone in the hospital hey take me to the bunker i want to see my weapons and they do it like he pulled it off. It's like, wow, he, he tricked them. He got the nuke. He pulled it out. I think they have it loaded up. They're ready to pull out. And this colonel gives them. A, it, that's all it takes. A weird look. Just like, Uday, is that you? And that's enough for Mitch to just go whole hog and, and uh, take him out. But that weird I could see that one scene. You're on the brink of success. And then just a look from a colonel who pulls up and has the power to block you in and end the whole thing. And Mitch thinks quick on his feet. Gets it done. Because yeah, you imagine if that that colonel says, you know, that's not you or, you know, you're yeah. supposed to be here or where's your tat, you know, like something, like any other phrase that comes out of his mouth, then. Well, they're outnumbered. Ev- everyone else around them is like, oh, shit, yep. you know. They'll but listen if- to that colonel instead of listening to rap slash Uday. But I'm saying, like, if Rap decided to kill him, you know, I don't know, a phrase longer, Rap is yeah. fucked. But if, That's true. instead, he does it quick enough to yeah. be like, the guy looked at me funny, you know? It's- the guy looked at me funny. He's dead. You don't look at me funny. So then they can drive off. Yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Well, I kind of like how the other loose ends fall into place. So we've recovered the nuke, but we're still wondering... You know, what's Anna up to? Is she going to come back? How is the president going to deal with the fallout with the Orion team being exposed? And the Israelis, we still wonder what's going on with Ben Friedman. And to me, as exciting and smart as this plot was, this is one of the maybe smartest plays. I thought our main plot was going to start wrapping up, but the president goes, oh, I've got a call to make. He calls the Israeli prime minister, thanks him for the intelligence gives a speech to the country saying, we've recovered these nukes. I know that some people have exposed certain operations that we were involved in while all that you know buffoonery was going on with the congressional hearing. 
the man on the ground, Mitch Rapp, was actually recovering nukes from Saddam Hussein. So he's going to win in the public's eye. But he still has to deal with Ben Friedman, who tried to play him. And at this point, Donatella has come clean. And Donatella has told everybody, Ben Friedman is playing games with y'all. Ben Friedman uh, orchestrated the whole uh, Peter Cameron thing. And they orchestrated the whole bring down Irene Kennedy and take down the CIA and almost killed Mitch in Germany. So now the president's like, what do we do about that? That Mossad was the one trying to take the CIA down. Well, he calls the prime minister and says, we are so grateful for the intelligence. I personally want to thank Ben. If he can come to the White House as soon as possible, I would like to give him my heartfelt thanks. Send him over. And the prime minister sends Ben Friedman. Ben Friedman comes to the situation room, thinks he's he's going to get commended for helping the Americans, you know, t- get these nukes, recover these nukes. And uh, it's not going to turn out that way, is it, Chris? No. Instead of when the president goes to meet him, who's there to meet him but uh, Mitch and Donatella. Mitch and Donatella walk into the situation room. And they get they get their boy Marcus Dumont, and they've been able to see that he's been paying her to do these contract killings so that they haven't beat. And that, I think the, he actually comes up in other later books, you know, uh, Friedman, because they have him in, in, in their bag now. They can just – he has to do whatever – whatever they wanted to do. And this is, this is great. And so he gives up the, he spills the beans and says that Hank Clark hired him to, to kill Peter Cameron. And so now they know that Hank Clark has been the one is the mastermind. This whole time to be the mastermind, the whole two books. And for good measure, doesn't Friedman say, well, you can't do anything to me. It's not like in the white house, you're going to physically assault the head of another intelligence force of your, one of your allies. And has and Hayes says something like, "Are you sure about that?" And he leaves. And so now it's Friedman sitting in the room with Rap and Kennedy. And Friedman's like, "You can't do anything to me. We're in the White House, right? And right? I'm, right?" And Rap kneecaps him. He pops him in the knee. In the Situation Room. Uh, yeah, imagine I love cleaning like, that. You can't up. do that. We're in the White House. <laughs> <laughs> Boom! <laughs> this is Mitch Rap. Yeah. Well, a couple other loose ends tie up as well. So we got Ben Friedman in the pocket of the CIA and shot in the kneecap in the Situation Room. And secretly, Kennedy was trying to help rap personally also. So Kennedy right. was not only pulling strings at the congressional hearing, trying to outmaneuver the others to get ahead of the curve. She also saw that Mitch can't sink to a low place. The vacation in Milan really affected him personally, and she knows it went badly. Anna's got it. It went bad, and she knows to get him in the right headspace. I've got to reach out to Anna, and I've got to explain to Anna what he was doing. She'll know once she hears the story about the nukes how important it was that Mitch stuck to his guns and stuck to the mission. He didn't want to, you know, hurt Anna, but you know, lives were at stake with nuclear weapons, and Kennedy. She wins. She she convinces Anna, like, maybe you should give it a try. Maybe you should come back, talk to Mitch. And Mitch pulls up to an empty house in Maryland. Imagine after all of this and you go home and there's one thing he wants more than anything in the world. To see Anna's car in the driveway. But why, why, why do you think he was expecting that when he made that decision to... You know, the last, thing he, last time he saw her was he made the decision not to go after Anna... But to you know, finish his you know his mission, 
right? Yeah. So why why was he expecting to see her at at the house? He just had. I think he had to hold on to some hope, man. He right. had to. He, there's no like. If he finally despairs, there's nothing left. And so by thinking maybe she's at home waiting for me, uh, he's just like kind of holding on to this last hope. But thankfully, not only did Kennedy get involved with Anna, the president, the president also too, spoke yeah. to her. The president said, "I know, I know this is hard for you." Irene tells me a lot of bad things went on, but I want to explain to you about Mitch. And the president actually fills in Anna about the story and what Mitch did and why he had to leave her, right? Why right. he had to right. go to Iraq and, and get distracted in Milan. And so right when we think Anna's not going to come around, Mitch pops open a beer, starts a fire. He's looking out over the Chesapeake Bay and he, and he sobs. Mitch Rapp is sitting there crying over a broken heart. It's powerful. Yes. And he even, uh, let me see if I can pull up the quote here. But he yeah. even like says that, do you remember what you said to me when the hostage standoff was over? That it was fate? Riley smiled, yes. Do you still believe in that? Like, this is Mitch Rapp talking about fate. And he, he goes yeah. on to think that, like, I think that I, you were sent here to save me. Or I was sent... Yeah. I think I was sent there to save you and that later you could save me. Like, yes, yeah. Vince isn't the greatest at writing a love story, but this is actually pretty like powerful that we're seeing this from Mitch. You know, it's very vulnerable. He's very vulnerable here. You know, it all comes together. All the stuff about the Anna storyline that we thought was dragged out and the Donatella love triangle, it kind of comes together on the scene in the patio. It, does. it makes it worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and the fate he's talking about was transfer of power. Like when they first met, he's like he's sobbing over memories of when he first met Anna, hoping she'll come back, which is just crazy. And there it is. She 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 drives in, she sees him sobbing, she sneaks around the corner of the house, and she's like, Mitch, do you understand why I had to put you through that? Because that's what you put me through every time you don't come home. <laughs> that's some and, wife bullshit and, right there. Dude, I don't know. No, that's empathy. That's em like if if she's going to go through this for him, she's got to give him I don't want to say a taste of his own medicine, but she's got to at least get him to viscerally feel that and empathetically go through what she's going to go through for the rest of her life. And if Mitch is willing to accept that and still move forward with the proposal, that's so important, right? Like it's this empathetic yeah, understanding. But it's more and important for her to to her to accept it, you know? Because it's probably more than likely going to happen to her more often than not. Oh, yeah, I know. But but that's her point, man. It's like, is this really going to work if you don't understand what I'm going through? So True. you can go away. The, the president and Irene, they told me, and I understand you have to do what you have to do. But Anna's also saying it's not going to work unless as you do that, you understand what I'm going through. I'm not saying you feel bad for me or anything, but she said, you have to at least understand. And now I think you do because you thought you lost me. That's that's deep shit. No, it is. It is. I, I, so maybe maybe it, it maybe Vince brings it home. I think he lands that he, plane. He does. With this he does. He, he, he lands it. It was a little rocky. I think mm -hmm. it's it took off nice. A little rocky in the middle. Landed well. Yeah. So. Yeah. Rosie just came in. My wife. And she heard us talking about empathy and marriage and understanding. <laughs> and, and she's like, oh, my God, is your podcast that romantic? And I was like, well, it's 
kind of like a Nick Sparks book, but with nuclear weapons, shooting people in kneecaps, and tossing people out of windows. <laughs> Definitely Nicholas Sparks with a little edge, you know. Vince is channeling his inner Nicholas Sparks here with the proposal. So, so I mean, that they have that whole conversation, Rap's crying, Anna's crying, and he runs upstairs, grabs the ring he had in his pocket almost this whole entire time, and asks her to marry him. <laughs> there it is. There it is. There it is. That's funny that Rosie heard us talking. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think like this is uh, like like we said. Like I think Vince lands it here. Um, yeah. But there are some problems in between. But it, as a whole, it, it worked and it was fine. Yeah. If you take the second half of this book, we'll get to it in winners and losers in a minute. Might be some of my favorite of all of Vince's writing. If you just take the last 20, 30% of this book. Yeah. yeah. So the, the final loose end we need to sort of wrap up is uh, Hank Clark and, and Rudin. And so before we finish with Hank as a character, we first get this really great scene where Rudin comes to Hank's office in um, one of the Senate buildings, right? I forget. Is it the heart? Yeah. Um, Not sure. And one of the offices. Yeah, one of the offices. He's super angry with, you know, Clark because his plan did not go as planned. Clark tries to apologize. And then he, I love how he tells him to step forward and, and look, look out the, like, look at the Washington Monument and tells him that he fought a good fight just like George Washington, but history wasn't on your side. And then throws him out the window as he, you know, has his head looking towards the Washington Monument. Like, this was a savage scene. This, I was like, again, I was like, oh, shit. No, you just didn't do it. Like, no, you didn't. And he did. It You could buy it because Rudin just staked everything on the public agreeing with him, Right. Right. The government was funding illegal operations, illegal assassinations, covert missions without proper funding and without proper oversight and authority. You subverted democracy and our law. And he thinks he's going to win. And then the president goes on TV and says, those idiots nearly jeopardized our mission to recover Saddam's nukes. Rudin, like, realistically, would be contemplating suicide, right? Like, it's all over. Oh, right. Yeah. I just literally not only broke the law, but I, I just gave up my whole life. I'm going to spend the rest of my life in prison. And so it's it's plausible that he just jumped out the window, right? You know, like, and Clark says there was barely an investigation. He said the FBI asked him a few questions. He said Rudin seemed very nervous. He had a tick. He was upset. He walked over to the window and boom. And the FBI buys it hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. No questions asked. And then the last scene that we get with Hank Clark, I really enjoyed the last, you know, two chapters where we're at a Christmas party at the Cosmos Club. He meets this super attractive lady. And who is our attractive lady? But Donatella. And she's and then this is this sort of brings the whole book back to this spy novel. You could see this this scene in like, you know, some sort of spy movie where yep. she comes in uses her beauty against him, yep. gets him to look away, looks at a piece of art, puts something she, in no, her drink. She, she plays on his ego. 
She looks on the wall and sees a photo of him with some president or something. Oh, right. Oh, is that that you? Is that you? Yeah. Slips something in his drink. He then drinks it, starts acting funny. And then what do we get? Mitch walking up to him and explaining the whole everything to him and that he's having a heart attack. Yep. They walk away to go dance, leaving him to die. Yep. Mitch is like, look at me in the eye. You're about to die, and walks away with the girl. <laughs> Although, he's an engaged man. He is betrothed, so I hope they're not doing too much at the Cosmos Club, because you, you know what Donatella's into. They're just dancing. They're just they're dancing. Just, they're just they're dancing. Just what dancing. dancing. What kind of dancing? <laughs> they're just that was dancing. A, I enjoyed that. Uh, I guess a lot of times... Rap does kill like the final villain in, in the epilogue yep. or, the, or the last chapter. That was the epilogue. Yeah, this was one of the one of the better ones. Well, I mean, Hank Clark has been with us for two books, and I guess we'd have to do this, you know, later on in the podcast when we cover more of the series. We have to rank our villains, but there is yeah. no doubt Hank Clark is top three. Some could argue first or second, but there's no doubt in my mind that Hank Clark doesn't make the top list of of villains that you hate or or even great greatly written villains and how complex they are so right yeah well that's our book that's it it's a good one that's a good it one. is a good one it's a very good one all right let's let's do our zero sum game our winners and losers wrap up this book i just have a few a couple questions um that I wanted to ask, you know, we're going to answer them pretty quickly. You know, how do you feel about us getting to understand Mitch's private life in this book? And the fact that considering we don't really see many of the other characters' private life, we get a little bit of Kennedy's, a little bit of Stansfield's in one of the books, but everybody else, you know, we don't really know much of Scott's private life. We don't, we don't know much mm-hmm. of Marcus's private life. All the other like major, major, even like the villains, we don't, we know that Hank has like three wives. That's about it, you know. And he loves talking about which number he's on. So, how do you feel about Vince's decision to show Mitch's private life? No, I think I think it was the time. I think it was a great decision. We came to love Mitch and transfer power. Saw him as a spy internationally in Germany, crossing borders, making his way back home, sneaking up on Stansfield. We saw him operating. So I think it was the right time to to get into it. Like we've been saying, was it drawn out a little too much? Sure. Did it all come together in the end? Definitely. And were you able to explore his private life while also getting him into some badass action between the Milan scene and the Baghdad scene? Absolutely. So in the end, great decision and the payoff was there. So it wasn't it wasn't too soppy. It was in just the right amounts because we also got to see Mitch being Mitch, doing what Mitch does. So. Just let Mitch be Mitch. Right. So the next thing I wanted to ask you was, do you think Hank Clark, and I think I already know your answer, do you think Hank Clark is an inherently bad person or is he just like every other American politician? He is personifying everything that's wrong with careerism in Washington and career politicians, manipulating others to do your dirty work and, you know, trying to hold on to your self-image playing to your ego while bringing down others. So yeah, I think he personifies that perfectly and he's just inherently bad. So that's a yes. All right. What do you Fair think? Enough. 
Yeah, I, I, I think he's he wor- he's a great villain. I, I would agree with you that he's definitely definitely top five, if not top three. Um, and I, I think like Vince is purposely, you know, sort of trying to use him, and he's probably the first one, right? Or I guess now the first one is the in term limits, but this is a, a common theme we're going to see throughout the entire series, often like the B plot or in not like the direct villain but like the overarching villain is this the politics politics are the politicians are the villains so saddam and his nuclear weapons are kind of the side story if you really think about it it's crazy most people would write a book about rogue dictator nuclear weapons could use them Mm -hmm. against israel american israel have to go recover them special operations mission flynn is putting that within a wider context of the American political system being screwed up by, you know, D-bags like Hank Clark. And the the opening scene with Hank Clark meeting the guys in the Bahamas and masterminding this, and the setup from the third option, I think, shows that this is genius. This is a genius, uh, I would call it a two-book arc, right? Third option to separation of power. It's a great arc, and I think it shows a lot more about what's wrong with our our political system and and how people like this could maneuver and really screw things up but thankfully you know that's the other theme is that the heroes are always the intelligence community and the people willing to put their lives on the line like our operators so nailed it right all right so the final question i wanted to ask you was do you like donatella's presence in this novel and and how do you do you think it changed the dynamic of the novel Donatella is a great character. I loved her backstory. We were really given it in the third option, but learned a whole lot more intimately about it here with Ben Friedman actually being in the book this time. He was just kind of hinted at last time. So I think Donatella was great for the book, great for the plot, and great character. That being said, all things in moderation. Some of the jokes about her and Mitch's sex life and being his lover were funny. Some of them went on a little too long, but um, overall, I thought she was a great part of the book. How about you? Yeah, I think I agree with that. As I said, I think that the next time we see her, whether it's with either Vince or with Kyle, she's a much better fleshed out character. Like The way her character is shown is, is much better than here, but I like her as a character, and I like that she was here, but yeah, like a little bit it was overdone. So yeah, that's it. Well, Chris... We got to get to it. What was the best about this book? And I think that's going to be pretty clear. What didn't you like? We talked about it quite a bit. So can you also give us your final rating? Yeah, so definitely the best part about this book, I think, was the whole Iraqi sequence where they come up with a plan, Mitch executes it properly, pretty much without a hitch, and they're able to recover the nuke. That that whole, like, just from planning to execution to coming home was great probably the, the second best thing i liked about this novel was the action that we got as the, like the spy portion of the book where you know we're either in milan or a little bit in in dc um at the very end of the book <clears throat> but yeah like de- definitely the the two action portions of this book was the best the yeah I, we i've mentioned this multiple times in this pod but the probably the thing i liked the least was just 
you know, like, did Steepkin have to be, like, in this novel at all? Like, does John Brown, like, all that, the B-plot with, like, bringing, and I know that, like, some of the stuff has to get from A to B, but it was just, whole chapters being dedicated to some of the stuff was just droning to me. So, that, 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 those are my winners and losers. Yeah. What about you? Definitely. The Iraqi mission, rap being so excited for it. Everything we learn, these little tidbits about military operations in the past, I thought Vince worked in miraculously. He talked about different Mossad things that have happened, you know, the Lillehammer incident, um, the Black September terrorist uh, group with the, the hostage crisis in the Olympics. He told us a little bit about the history of this operating base out of Saudi Arabia, who are on paper, you know, our allies and give us some military support in the region or at least uh, space. And um, the 160th with the Airborne, he gives us some history of that. So I really like those tidbits. And next week when we talk about Operation Thunderbolt, we're really going to see how Vince is a master of working in those kind of things. So I love that. Love the action. The Milan scene was was great as well. I'll agree with you. The politics got a little complicated. Hank Clark's maneuvering is always very complex. You could get lost in the weeds. Didn't bother me so far, so much. I would just say the entire first... 60% of the book was a little slow. Uh, this would probably be among my favorite rap novels if it were almost like a, a novella or a short story of the last 30, 40%. But of course, you know, you have to do the legwork to have the payoff in the end. So yeah, um, I think the first half was maybe not so great for me, not so hot. But still, I would rate this one pretty high. All right. Let's, let's so, say it. What would you give this book, Chris, in the end? I gave it a B. I gave it an 8.5. Is that a B plus or is it B? I don't know. We have to like actually figure out what I, I was thinking once we get to like a third of the books, we'll do a pod yeah. ranking all the books and then yeah. we actually need to figure out like how our ranking system works. But I gave it an 8.5, <laughs> a B, you know? Okay. I liked it a little bit more than the third option, yeah. a little bit less than total power, although you did not like total power. So... Um. We yeah, that's uh, where so I put it. We can't really compare it to the new books. No, right? I can't. You can't either. So I liked it a little bit more than more than the third option. I liked it less than separation of power. Than transfer. I mean, no, transfer. transfer of power. Yeah, transfer. Yeah. Power. Sorry. Yeah, that's where I'm going to be, but a little higher on it, simply because of some of these closing scenes. Uh, I'm going a minus. I wanted to give it somewhere in the low 9.0, 9.1. I realized I only gave transfer power a nine, so nowhere I did not like it as much as that. So even though I gave it an A minus, I had yeah I had to go down to an eight point nine, just so it didn't quite reach transfer power for me. But um, I probably would have gone higher if the first half wasn't so slow. Yeah, I really like this one. I really did. Definitely. Well, which cover did you like, and which cover did the followers like? For me, the cover that I liked the best was, I think, the most popular um, among what I saw, at least on the Facebook group, was B. So I guess we should, if you haven't seen it, we have A is like the CIA symbol on the title basin with the, what is that, the Jefferson Memorial, right? And then, so B is the Congress building and we get that the window. window, the window, which we know like Hank Clark looks out the window multiple times during at least this book and the last book. And then obviously at the end, you know, he pushes Rudin out of the window. Um, see, we have again, the seal, a seal with, uh, the memorial, which I don't know why they have the memorial there. D 
highly controversial. <laughs> what? People always loved one. D. People loved it. Why? <laughs> it's a train. Guys, there's literally a train in the snow with a cloaked character standing next to it. I'm not kidding. A train. Did we ever, in the last two and a half hours talking about this book, mention a goddamn train? No. We never said the word train. There was never a hint of a train. A train had 100% nothing to do with this book. No, see, this Why is, is there where this is, there's always one cover, dude. There's one, and I think it might be the same. This is the same. It's the line. same color scheme. It's like this purple color scheme. Whenever, no, whenever they republished the paperbacks, they redid the covers. Because this is the same one from, was it the third option or transfer power? They had a cloaked figure standing next to a power line, which would have been better for the like total power than it would have been the third option. Had nothing to do with it. And the only thing I can think of is like, does someone get on a train in Milan? But no. Well, I have a lot of Flynn books. I'm not buying that one on Amazon. I could tell you that right now because it has a freaking train on it. And there's nothing in the book about a train. I'm done. That's it. You know, for now on, we should just change the section to be talking about the one cover that is bad. <laughs> that is re- it's it's not bad compositionally. Not, actually, it's it's actually a very random. nice cover. It's actually it's a, a very cover nice cover for a book about a train and a guy wearing a cloak. You texted me. You're like, "What is this? The mor- the murder on the Orient Express that we're talking about?" Like, it's like, is, if this said Agatha Christie right here, I would have been like, "Perfect, great cover, love it." Well, I guess it's the winter. Was that in the winter? I don't even know. No, um, I don't think so. But no, anyway, so either. If Henoir Poirot or whatever his name is comes in, then great. Her- if that's who the cloaked Her- figure is, Hercule. Hercule. Yeah. Poirot. I can't. I don't Pro- know. I'm gonna give up on French pronunciations. All right, E is nice. I'll give you cover E is all right. I it's like a great, e. I like e. That's what I have. It's a great teal, uh, dark color scheme with what I would assume is Baghdad because it has a minaret um, indicative of a, of a mosque with a bridge. Right. And so knowing a lot of this book or the main mission took place in Baghdad, that's a great cover compositionally and it could really relate to the story. So I think F is the international version because we that's the German see- version. That's the German version because of the German Mitch Rapp who looks yeah. like a badass um, yeah. in front of the um, reflecting pool. And then G is another. So I think when I have a, I have the third option is the cover when they redid the covers for this version where it's just a man running through something. Yep. The, and so there's always the runner. <laughs> there's, there's a man running through. And that one, it was he was running through Union Station, which again, there wasn't a Union Station scene. At least this one doesn't look like Union Station. This looks like I feel like this is Mitrap in Milan. I could see like I think so the too. scene yeah. where he's like the running around streets. Yep, where he's like running around trying to get to back. Yep. He's trying to loop around the apartment. Yep. That's that's the scene I thought of after Donatello. So if this one would work really great. I like the blue and yellow color scheme. The yellow's kind of different. If you either had the car with the guy he's sneaking up on, you know, the Mossad guy who's watching right. the apartment. Or you had him walking with Donatella holding hands because of the hand squeeze to tip her off. Uh, G could have been a great one because the cobblestones, the arched um, passageway he's going through definitely makes me think of the Milan scene. I'm with you. My fan, my favorite is either B, E, or G, but I, you gotta, I like B the best. 
you got to go B all the way. A lot of people online said B. It's the window, man. It's this haunting window. There's a shadowy figure in it. I'm like, is Clark going to come up and push that guy right out? Like, it's perfect. You got to go with the window, man. Cover B. I is think awesome. that's the first edition hard copy because the all the ones online I saw were that cover. Yep. So that's also the one we mailed to Cat, one of our patrons. Uh, nice. She won a signed copy of Separation of Power, and that was the one. So maybe I'm biased because I had a, I owned a copy of it and I really liked it. But um, B, it's got to be B. That one's great. The I original. like this section a lot. I like this section. All right. Well, um, we already talked a little bit about what we're going to do next week. So if you want to watch Seven Days in Entebbe, if you want to read up on Operation Thunderbolt, there's some great YouTube content about it. Uh, Jack Carr has actually tweeted about it quite a bit. I remember the anniversary a few months ago. I think it took place in June or July. Uh, He tweeted a picture of the actual Israeli soldiers, uh, the IDF Special Forces, on a C-130 with one of these black limos that they were going to drop into the airport and sneak up on the Ugandan military with and the Palestinian terrorists. So look up Operation Thunderbolt if you want to know a little bit more to get ready for next week's bonus episode. Yeah. And we wouldn't be here if we weren't didn't have our patrons, so we have to thank them. Uh, our special operator, Sherry F., we thank you. We also thank our special agents, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, and Jeff. Big shout out to you guys. Without you, we wouldn't be here. So we would just want to thank you. Please, I can't say this enough. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. And you can find us online at mitrappod.com or using our Twitter or Instagram handle at mitrappod. And as always, just let Mitch be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Guerrilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.